Welcome back to Dairy Automation Talks. I am your host, Ruben Almada, and today we're back with another guest, and our guest today is Joel Everhart from Laley. Welcome, Joel. Hey, welcome to you too. Thank you for having me, Ruben. Yeah, thanks. God, you could make it work. Um, you're enjoying the, the summer heat of Minnesota, and I'm enjoying the summer heat, the final summer heat, hopefully, of California. We are just talking about how uh, we had nice Junes and such, but uh, hopefully this is the last of it. It would be nice. Yeah, I can. I'm not sure where this year went, but uh, yeah, things are looking looking up here, and I hope everything's the same out in California. Yeah, I mean, looking like it. Things are trying to start to get a little bit better, down some, and attitudes will get better and all that good stuff. Just, you know, I agree with you. I think we say every year at the end of summer, I don't know where the year went, but it's it just gets faster every year as we get older. So unfortunately, we can't pause that. <laughs> right on, right on. So tell us a little bit about yourself, where you where you're from, and where 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 you're at, and your position at Laley, and what that all entails. <laughs> you you ask that like I uh, should just be able to tell you that right off the top of my head. <laughs> no, so I, I'm a commercial product specialist on the feed and barn team here for Laley in North America, um, primarily now in the U.S. I, I had North American responsibilities up until about a year and a half ago, which included all of Canada. Uh, so we. You know, in, from the North America perspective, we have uh, 56 Laley centers uh, spanning from California to Vermont and from Texas all the way up to uh, uh, the Maritimes of, of Canada and on over to BC. Um, so now I, I, I'm primarily here in North America, uh, which entails about 36, 37 Laley centers that, that I work with. My background is in is in, uh, I grew up on a family farm. Matter of fact, still live on the family farm and farm myself. Uh, had a feedlot up until about 15, 18 years ago. I did a lot of ruminant nutrition is what my background is coming out of uh, out of college. Uh, so it pretty well suits what I'm doing now with uh, with Laley, working with automation and, and feeding and feeding equipment and barn equipment, uh, all as it relates to, uh, uh, to dairy cows and, and beef cattle. Great. So you said feed and barn. And for some of us, for some of us, we know what that is, but some of our guests, our uh, listeners might not know what feed and barn stands for from the Laley perspective. Can you explain a little bit about what that means? <laughs> in, a, in, a, in a real general way, it's uh, uh, everything but the milking robot, the astronaut. Um, in a, uh, a more concise way, uh, it's, uh, there's a lot of different products that the Laley organization has within, within this whole group. Uh, primarily, I think if people think about Laley, they think about the milking robot, the the astronaut, uh, the the feed and barn side. Um, we've uh, as we've think about automation and and the family thought uh, the Laley family has thought about automation and how they came out with the milking robot. They looked at other things, real you know that are on the farm. What can we do to help automate some of these things that we do on a daily basis and uh, and and that's repetitive and takes time and labor. So from the feed and barn side, we, you know, we we talk about uh, on the feeding side, we have vector, which is an automated uh, uh, feeding mechanism um, that uh, has been out now for 10, 12 years that we're having a lot of success with. We have the Juno, I think is what we're going to talk about today on, on pushing feed. We've got Calm for calf feeding uh, automatically. We've got a Cosmics. It's an automatic feeder for uh you know, we can use as a trainer for the robot, you know, a way to get to some extra nutrition into high cows or or to, or to get to a specific nutrition need into developing heifers or dry cows. The barn side of things, 
you know, we think about uh, uh, cow brushes and what they can bring for uh, cow comfort in, in a barn, uh, manure systems for robotically vacuuming or pushing manure to ver various places in the barn. Uh, so there's there's a lot of different things that we look at holistically through what a uh, what what a barn looks like and what we can bring to it from an automation perspective. So those are the things that 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 I uh, concentrate on. Yeah. Okay. That's a, a wide range of different uh, things, and it's you know interesting. You know, everybody does think about the astronaut when you think about automation and stuff, but there's a lot more there from specifically from the Laley side for things that we could. Um, we can provide to the farmers for the mundane, ta the repetitive mundane tasks, right? So um, as you kind of hinted a little bit, we're going to talk a little bit about the Juno today. Um, for me, that's one of the first robots that I've seen that I saw on farm before joining GDR and even before the milking robots was an, a common thing that we saw out there. Um, can you tell us when the Juno started kind of getting out there and started being made, sold and and some of the key characteristics of the Juno. Yeah, sure. I'll uh, that that that. There's a lot of things right there, so I'll see what I can what I can uh, talk about. And if I miss something, please uh, make sure that I circle back to it. Yeah. Um, as, as I you know said a couple minutes ago, uh, you know, lately looked at a lot of different tasks on the farm, and one of the things that they saw was the need for keeping feed pushed up consistently at the bunk every day. And so back in uh, 2006-ish is when they started uh, really looking at uh, how can we develop this, this kind of technology uh, and, and make it a repeatable, repetitive task that we can automate versus what a farmer would traditionally do with, uh, with a, uh, a, a skid steer, a four-wheeler, um, a, a, a broom, uh, in, you know, in many cases, uh, especially on smaller farms. Uh, but how can we do something a little bit more automatically? So 2006, they, they started experimenting with it. 2007, they had the prototypes. 2008 is when we came out with our very first Juno called the Juno 150, um, a fairly large unit uh, for pushing high volumes of feed. Uh, we were the first ones in the market to do so, uh, to, to automate that task. And, uh, you know, I, I think everybody... Uh, if you were to ask them today about feed pushing, they 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 might uh, they might actually say, you know, uh, what kind of Juno do you have? It kind of, it's kind of that Kleenex or Jacuzzi kind of general term because we in, we invented this uh, the, this automation that hit the market that nobody else had had seen or had. Right. So, so we've had that for now quite a number of years. It's gone through quite a number of different uh, evolutions, but the the key to it is Ruben, uh, and for all of those that are listening that. Um, you know, there's, there's tasks that you do during the day. And, uh, one of those might be keeping feed pushed up, but we do see challenges on some farms about how we can do that consistently and at the same time every day. And then what happens when we leave the barn at seven, eight, nine, ten 10 o'clock at night. And, and before you come back at four five, six in the morning to, uh, uh, push feed out, what's, what's happening in that, that six, eight, 10 hour time period. Some guys that are high management are keeping feed pushed up, but many times, uh, and most of the time, majority of the time, um, cows are left to themselves. There's a, you're not really getting that feed pushed up, and there is a lot of activity that happens at night. So right. that's what we're really trying to capture is keeping feed pushed up on a regular 
consistent basis all throughout the day so that anybody that's in the herd that comes to the feed bunk has the opportunity to eat. Yeah, I, I think the biggest, you know, like you hit on there is like during when people aren't there, right? You get time frames and cows are, you know, wanting to eat and that they're just because people aren't there doesn't mean cows don't want to go eat, right? So if we can get it pushed up in that time, and then that's always a labor concern and a labor cost. We're not going to really pay for someone to hang around all day just to push in feed in the middle of the night kind of deal. So having the ability to automate that is a, a huge advantage. Yeah. And when you think about a farm too, and, and this is where I kind of go back on my farm background as well and, and yours as well, Ruben, um, you know, labor is usually pretty scarce on a farm. So, you know, there's, there's things that happen on a farm daily that you don't plan for. So what happens if you have a breakdown? Um, what happens if hay is now ready at, uh, at, at three o'clock in the afternoon and, and somebody called in sick and, and you need to have that employee that might be up around the cows doing uh, doing the feed push up has to go out and now help with a different task. So that that important task of keeping feed pushed up gets kind of pushed off the the, the ledger for the day. It, it doesn't happen. And if there's one thing that I know about cows and I know about how the rumen works is uh, they a cow needs and craves consistency. And that goes along with their diet and, and how they eat and consume feed. If we want to really get the uh, the most efficient use of feed out of them, we want to make sure that uh, we have that available. So, you know, it seems like a mundane task, but it's so important as we think about animal health and we think about reproduction. And the uh, the real money maker is that extra pound or two of milk that you can get by by doing it consistently and more often. Yes, hundred percent. Um totally agree with you on everything you said there. Uh, one of the things you kind of mentioned, you know, originally came out with the Juno 150. So are there today, are there, is there more than one type of Juno that are being sold? There's probably more than one type out there from other iterations that have been sold, but is there more than one type being sold today? So today we have, we have really one, uh, one size, but it's two different types. Okay. Uh, so I mentioned that we came out with the 150. It was a fairly large unit, um, really designed for for uh, uh, farms that maybe feed once a day. Um, yeah, big units could could push a lot of feed. We came out then about uh, five years, six years later with a Juno. We called it a Juno 100. It was a smaller unit. It weighs exactly the same as the 150. It's just a smaller unit to be able to. Uh, get us some more flexibility on some smaller feed alleys, things that we maybe couldn't have got into with the 150. So as we uh, we uh, got feedback back from producers, from our Laley centers, uh, there was a few specific features that everybody had on their wish list is, what if we had the ability to push left side and the right side? Uh, is your ability to pull the, uh, to, you know, it has a skirt mechanism. So, that, you know, for pushing the feed and, you know, we think about that being on the ground to push feed, but what what about a big barn, like a, a big open barn or a big barn like we see out in California or or Colorado or or Texas, where we might have cow alleys or crossovers in the way? Um, so one of the features we did with our new one, which we're calling the J2, uh, actually the J1 came out with this feature as well, but we're into the J2 now, is that we can lift the skirt up uh, as we go over any... Uh, 
any obstacle or if we have to go outside or go over a cow alley so we don't just spread manure all over the place. So there's a lot of features that came into, into play. And I, I kind of got ahead of myself mentioning the J2, but the J1 came out in 2018. Mm-hmm. And now when in 2022, we came out with, but 2023 is when we started marketing commercially the J2, the, uh, the this new this new Juno that incorporates uh, many of the same features I just discussed, but uh, does it in a, uh, in a, uh, uh, maybe more sophisticated manner from the software and Wi-Fi capabilities and alarming that we can now see uh, if we have Wi-Fi in the barn that we can now be notified of uh, anything that might be happening with that Juno. So, so, now, so today I, I mentioned there's two types. There's a there's the one that push left and right, and then there's a more basic model which uh, only pushes on one side. So there's okay. a little bit of cost difference between the two, but. Uh, you know, that's kind of, they're the same size, but it's just a little bit of difference in features. Okay. Okay. So the, the, the one that pushes on one side and probably more for a barn that is, you know, you can make a loop, right? Kind yeah. Of in that aspect, the, the the other one, I believe, is the Juno Flex, if I'm not mistaken. That's You're exactly right. We call that the Flex, and then we have the Basic. Yep. Yeah. And so with the Flex, you could, you know, push down just one side, and you can kind of you just and then come back and push that same side on the way back kind of deal. So if you're the one sided barn or something to that effect, uh, we see that in some of our separation pins that guys are utilizing that in that area where it's just on one side. So they can do push on one way and one and then way back kind of deal. So, yeah, uh, which, uh, which, you know, the, it's, it's kind of nice. Uh, what happens when you keep working feed down one way all the time? Right. It ends up kind of pushing feed off the uh, off that that back corner. Yep. So if we can go down one way, say pushing on the left, and then uh, make a return at you know coming down pushing on the right, we can kind of keep feed balanced uh, away from those corners and uh, and and keep it in the areas that we want it to be in, so that the you know the cows have access to it. Right, and you can push in a little bit closer because you push in one way going, and then the, on the return you can push a little bit closer. So definitely one a, a benefit there. We and we've so we've hit on a little bit of the benefits of using the Juno, but there's more. There's you've hit on some of the reproduction and, and production and stuff. Can you go a, maybe a little bit more in, in, into what you guys have seen over the the last um, I think it's almost twenty years now with the Juno. Yeah, it's a uh, you know. With that said, you know we've got. Uh, almost 20,000 of these units out now. So from a uh, adoption or, or market pers- perspective, um, we have a, a, probably the largest market share uh, still to date. Uh, we just had a, 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 a lot of units out there. So with that said, we have the ability to dissect and see a lot of that data on a lot of different kinds of herds. You know, it could be a, a, a 60 cow shorthorn herd in Switzerland or a 4,000 cow, 5,000 cow dairy in, in California. Yep. Um, but we, we see the same types of things that we keep feed available. And the biggest thing we see, Ruben, is that middle of the night, two pushes. Um, cows that are nocturnal, um, cows that uh, are maybe that first calf heifer that uh, she doesn't get along real well with those uh, third, fourth, fifth, fourth, uh, fifth lactation cows. So that are, tend to be a little bit more aggressive. Mm-hmm. So, you know, she wants to come to the bunk at a time when she's not scared to be around those, those other animals. That's where we need to, to capture and make sure that feed is available. 
And by available, that means, and you said it, pushed up close, you know, where, where she's not pushing up against the neck rail. So from an animal health perspective, we also see that too, that you think about shoulders and, and duke or claws, you know, the, the actual hooves on these animals, if they have to keep pushing, pushing and stretching to get to the feed, um, you know, that can have some impact on, on their, their, their feet and their legs and, and their actual mobility then to go get milked. We, we really don't want to have her turn into a cull cow. And we, we have, right. we do see that we have a big impact on that, especially, especially in the environment of, uh, uh, when we think about robots, uh, where cows have to go on their own to, to go get milk, mobility is such a big thing. And, uh, we, we find that, uh, you know, keeping feed available is just one thing that we can check off uh, because we don't now have them pressuring themselves up against the fence, up against, the, up against that feed bunk to try to get to feed. No, hundred percent. Yeah, you do see in those aspects, and, and and Juno's is something out here specifically where we're still, still in the infancy ages of milking robots out here. But we we see Juno's. Uh, I mean, you pull on a lot of farms, you're going to see a Juno. Just in just in general, uh, like you said, it, you know, there's twenty some thousand out there, and we have a lot of them on farms that aren't using milking robots today. But Absolutely, they, yeah, benefit yeah, of that. Yeah, I, I make the example of the robot because they have to voluntarily walk. You know, they're not having somebody push them into a holding pen, uh, which, you know, by and large is is a, uh, a you know, larger dairy like yourselves out in California. Um, you know, the, a, a subacute uh, problem with lameness, you might not pick up uh, right there at that mm -hmm. moment. Uh, you know, if you're unless you're really paying attention to all those cows that you're pushing up in the holding pen. Um, and, and that could be the result of many different things, right? But, but again, keeping feed pushed up, uh, there's another major, major factor that we need to hit on is, you know, there's a lot of sorting that takes place at the feed bunk. Um, there's cows that are exceptionally good at it. Um, well, we can't always prevent that. Uh, by keeping feed pushed up and more homogenized, we can maybe keep that diet together longer so we don't have these uh, big slug feeding issues of, of uh, getting a lot of concentrate, a lot of corn, you know, uh, into them, uh, you know, that falls out of the feed when they start pushing it and moving it around, but keeping feed pushed up um, over the top of corn that might fall through or, or any other uh, uh, high carbohydrate that they're using, um, that just keeps that all mixed together better. And, you know, that can go, you know, if we have this sorting uh, in selection going on, we can get some acidosis, which can lead to lament, you know, the, the lameness like I talked about. So there's a lot of different reasons why this thing makes a lot of sense if we can uh, look at it in a, in, a, in a more holistic way. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So, you know, we got this Juno running around farm slowly, but steadily. What kind of maintenance does a Juno require? You know, um, from a maintenance standpoint, that's one thing that we always work on is uh, when we innovate a product and, and come out with a product, we're, we're always innovating. So as we think about the milking robot, and, and maybe there's those of you that will be listening that haven't looked it up or haven't looked at it, but there's a, a nomenclature with it that denotes what, what version it is. So right now we're on an A5. So we're on the fifth commercial released version of that astronaut. So we're always working on different different items. So you know, take 
for example, uh, uh, the milking robot, there's a, there, whatever the top 10 things were that were, uh, that, that are a maintenance item today, it would be the next things that they would work on for that, say the A6 when it comes out. Well, the same thing happens with, with the vector, same thing happens with Juno. So we're trying to make things uh, uh, quite a bit easier. Uh, when you really think about what needs to be uh, looked at from a maintenance perspective, the only really things that are touching the ground or have any big wear to them is the tires and also the uh, the rubber skirt that's at the bottom. Um, you know, the, uh, the we've gone through quite a number of different uh, tire suppliers over the years to, to try to get to a uh, where that's a uh, maintenance item that would maybe have been um, a six-month item if we were pushing a, you know, a lot on a long feed fence to trying to get to a two-year maintenance item. So, you know, we're, we're really working on all of those things um, to try to, to, to get to where there's less and less and less maintenance that, that is required. Um, the only other things that come to mind are just uh, keeping, uh, you know, where, where it charges, keeping things clean there. Um, it doesn't take a lot of time to just, you know, look at it and make sure that there's not a whole lot of fly specks or, or uh, um, maybe some slimy saliva or manure that you know might have been splashed up on it that might affect how it charges. But uh, from my perspective, uh, that that that's what I think are the probably the key points there. Yeah, from from when when you have a run, well running Juno, you don't have too many issues from that aspect if you keep those things in check and and keep your your areas cleaned and such it will make sure charging go, goes kind of going along with the charging you know we have to charge for a certain amount to be able to push for a certain amount can you talk a little bit about what that ratio is yeah sure so right now we're you know we're using a uh, yellow top optima dry cell battery um not a lithium type battery at the it it's uh, we, we've done a lot of testing and we have found that the uh, lithium, while it's a, a, a good, easy charging power source, um, does not tolerate heat, nor does it tolerate cold real well. So we, we, by, keeping our, uh, by keeping with this kind of battery, we're able to keep our costs down at, on the battery. And, and as such, yeah, we have a charge to drive ratio of uh, about 60% charge, 40% drive, somewhere in, in there. It could be 50-50 depending on uh, how many times we need to push during the day. Mm -hmm. um, when we think about some of your California barns, which are obviously different than a, a uh, back in Moslaus in, in the Netherlands, uh, right. you know, some 120 cow herds that might be, you know, a, a five, six row barn with a, uh, a center feed alley that's only 150 feet long. Um, you know, we think about your barns that are 700, 800, 900 feet long. Um, we can do uh, 1800 foot pushes. Um, we just need to make sure that we kind of respect what that what that looks like as far as how many times do we think that we need to push per day. Right. So if, if we want more than six or seven or eight pushes a day, we might have to think about a a, a, a another unit just to to make to get up to the kind of pushes that that particular producer would want to do but 1800 feet is kind of 
I think uh, is is doable and is probably our limit, but would fit uh, many of the farms that uh, that your listeners probably have. Yeah, and, and if, if, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's about forty feet a minute or so, kind of r- around there. Yeah, that's a, that's that's roughly what it can do. Dep- yeah. Obviously, depending on you know how much you're having to push in and how much power it's got to push use to push in and stuff like that, it's probably going to vary. But that's about I think that's the ballpark we we tend to use. Is yeah, about 40 feet. 40, 40 feet per minute. Yep. That, yeah. So that, that gives you an idea how how far how long it'll take to to push, and you know you can just you know add that time on to actually charge as well too that long yeah. length. Yeah. Yeah. One one of you know you kind of mentioned a couple of different times, and we haven't touched on this is uh, you know that it 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 can move in. So um, we don't need to have any thing uh really for it we're using ultrasound for it to to uh keep its a distance away from the neck rail or the edge of the feed bunk so if we're feeding one time a day then we got a high volume of feed out there we can set that uh, that juno to be um you know approximately uh um two and a half, three, three feet away, you know, from the, from the bunk. It, it doesn't serve us any good to have try to push this big mass of feed all the time. So what we can do is sequential runs is it's going to move itself in as that feed volume decreases so that we can keep that feed volume going uh, inaccessible. But we do it in such a way that we don't really have to put lines or, or, uh, um, magnets or any of those things completely down the feed fence. We right. do put some strips down uh, for it to follow in areas that we can't ultrasound. And we also put some strips uh, through the uh, feed alley and uh, just kind of horizontal as what it, it so it can trip over that and uh, and know exactly where it is in the barn. So yeah, you know, it's not a major thing to, to, to do fairly easy to, to put those strips in. Um, but again, that gives us a lot of flexibility using these ultrasounds to be able to push further away when you have that that first big volume of feed, and then and then as it as it's um, pushing through the day, it'll just move sequentially closer, so we can keep that 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 feed right there where the cows need it. Yeah, very good, very good information there, Joel. Well, Joel, thank you very much for your time today. Uh, we're on around about 30 minutes here um and i think we've got a lot of information covered here and i appreciate you kind of um having the time to to meet today and, and go over some of this but any last things about the juno or anything that you'd like to leave with uh, our listeners today um other than i think every every farm should look at uh, automating this part of it it uh, uh juno is a, a very flexible piece of equipment uh, you know I often say, or I often hear, um, some of our salespeople say that that it's a luxury item, but I, I think it's a luxury item you can't live without. It's it's uh, we think about uh, uh, precision dairy or precision farming, and uh, when when uh, when automatic steering and all of this stuff came out, uh, you know, with with GPS technology, well, it was kind of a luxury thing, but. I don't see a tractor at all that's out there planting or harvesting without it. anything without it, right? Yes. It's one of those things that adds value. And this is one of those things that that uh, it's a pretty small um, amount of money to add a lot of value to your farm. 
Agreed. So with that, thank you very much, Joel. And um, we will catch you on another, hopefully sometime soon here out here in California again. Um, and we'll talk to you later. I appreciate it. Thanks very much, Ruben. You're welcome. Also, don't forget to find the Juno giveaway that, that on the TDR Facebook page. Uh, look us up and they're entered for a Juno giveaway going on at the moment. Thank you and have a nice day.